everyone. Uh, my name is Naya, and I am one of the pastors here, in case you don't know me. Um, and I am already hot, so I don't know how this is going to go. Um, but I'm like, man, I'm already sweaty. So it's just going to get even more sweaty. But anyway, it is good to see you this morning. Um, and I'm going to pray for us before we begin. Lord, I thank you that we get to come to you. And your arms are open wide for us. I thank you that we can cast our cares upon you for you care for us. And Lord, some of us this morning are here and we're excited, we're joyful. Some of us are heavy, tired. And Lord, I just pray that wherever we're at this morning, that you would meet us there. That your spirit would speak this morning, and that our hearts would be open to receive all that you have in store for us. And Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart this morning be pleasing to you, O oh Lord, our rock. Famous singer and songwriter John Mayer wrote a famous song titled Waiting on the World to Change. And some of you this morning probably heard that and started already singing, right? Me and all my friends, right? Or some of you are probably thinking, who is John Mayer, right? And what did he do and why is he important this morning? Well, here's the thing. He wrote this song and this is what some of his lyrics say. Me and all my friends, we are all misunderstood. They say we stand for nothing, and there's no way we ever could. How many of you are singing along, right? Yep. Um, now we see everything that's going wrong with the world and those who lead it. We just feel like we don't have the means to rise above and beat it. So we keep waiting, waiting, waiting on the world to change, right? We keep waiting. waiting on the world to change? I mean, we look around us and we look at the world and we hear about everything that's going on and we can't help but to cry along with the psalmist when they sing, How long, O oh Lord? Or maybe you're like, I have never waited uh, for the world to change. You know what? That's fine. But how many of you have waited for your circumstances to change? Right? Where you've seen the sufferings or the trials of your sufferings and trials, right, your own relational conflicts, your own problems, and you just ask, will this ever change? Will I ever get better? Will this ever come to something? Will I always have to deal with this? Will I always have to suffer with this? Why does it feel like I fail over and over? Or maybe some of you find yourself real cynical this morning. And you're just like, you know what? Nothing could ever change. I mean, I have tried everything. I have done everything. And nothing will ever be able to change. And you question, can the world ever change? Can you and I ever do better? Can we still give this Jesus guy a chance? Can we still follow him when everything else seems to fall apart? 
John Mayer believes that we cannot change the world and that all we can ever do is wait. But here's the question I want to ask and answer this morning. What if the world actually has changed? And if it has, how has it changed? And what does that mean for you and I this morning? Well, the good news is that Paul this morning answers that question for us in our text. So if you are not there, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. And we're going to be covering verses 15 through, 9, through 29, actually. And here's the first point. First, the world has changed because God made a promise. Things are no longer the same because God spoke and it came to be. Now, most of you know that we're in the middle of a series titled No Other Gospel. And we have been looking and journeying through the book of Galatians and we've been learning and seeing who the gospel is and what is the gospel. And we have seen how Paul is like really angry in this letter because the Galatian people were trying to add to the gospel. And he's like, what are you doing? Okay. And this morning we find ourselves in one of those other like angry, like absolutely what the heck are you talking about moments. Okay, because Paul, in his day, had these people called the Judaizers, all right? And the Judaizers believed that you had to follow the law in order to be saved. They believed that there was no other way to enter into God's family but by following the law. The Judaizers were living as if the world never changed. As if God never made a promise. And Paul is strongly arguing against this belief this morning. Because you see, part of them believing that was to make sure that the Gentiles could never enter into God's family. It was their way of excluding people from salvation. And Paul's like, no, what are you doing? And he begins this section by saying, God actually made a covenant. He actually made a promise to Abraham. And this covenant and this promise was not a contract made by human hands. But it was a promise and a covenant made by God himself. How many of you? Okay, how many of you have had people tell you their word and they don't follow through, right? I mean, we're all thinking of that one person or persons in our lives that tell us, man, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to be there for you. I'll take care of that. And then they don't, right? Or how many of you have been that person? I mean, I can raise my hand. I've been that person where I'm like, you know, I'll get you at 7 o'clock and I never show up at 7 o'clock, right? Or, hey, I'm going to take this, I'll take care of this for you, I'll do this project, and then I actually don't do it right, or we don't do it, or we fail, right? Our promises are fickle. We're people that we hardly keep our promises. But you see, God makes a promise, and he keeps them. His promises are not like man 
made promises. They are guaranteed to last. In fact, they are meant to last. And this is what Paul is telling us, that God made a promise, and he made a covenant with Abraham. So the question becomes, what is this promise? Right? What, what is this covenant? And so bear with me, but we're going to go through a little bit of history. Okay? And if you just stay with me for a little bit, you will feel the punch of Paul's argument to these people. Okay? And so we have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham and says, hey man, you need to leave your country. You need to leave your people. You need to leave your father's household and go to a land that I will show you. And then this is what God promises Abraham in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 12. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Did you catch it? God promised Abraham that through him, all people, that means all people, will be blessed. Not just one people group over another people group. Not just one gender over another gender. All people will be blessed. And in Genesis 15, three chapters later, God promises Abraham, hey, not only will I bless all those who bless you, but I'm actually going to give you offspring as numerous as the stars. And we learned last week that Abraham believed God as a result. And if you just need more promises, um, in Genesis chapter 17, God actually promises Abraham again and tells him, you're going to be the father of many nations. Again, reiterating the fact that people from all backgrounds and all ethnicities were always meant to be a part of God's family. And he promises that kings will come from him and that the Israelites will occupy the land. Okay, guys, so what? All right, history lesson over. So what? The point of explaining this promise to you, this covenant that was made from the is to show you that God made a promise that the world was going to change. God made a promise from the beginning that his salvation plan was always going to extend and include all people. And it shows us that before the Mosaic law, before the law ever entered into the picture, God made a promise, and friends, those promises did happen. Abraham did have offspring. Kings did rule the land. Nations were becoming to enter into God's family, and ultimately, in verse 16, Paul tells us that this seed, that this promise was pointing to this offspring, to this seed, who is ultimately Christ. And guess what, friends? He came. Nothing or no one can add or change the trajectory of what God was going to do in salvation history. And this is what Paul was telling his listeners. 
He's like, Judaizers, you have it all wrong. You're starting at the wrong place. You actually have to go back to the beginning. Friends, we cannot start a story three quarters of the way in. I know many of us like to do that, right? We like to go to the end and then go back to the beginning. I mean, but we can't do that because we'll miss it. Last week, I went to go see um, the Avengers Infinity War. If you don't know what that is, I advise you, you know, look it up. <laughs> About the Avengers. I went to go see it last week. And I went with the Lucases. And I have to confess, and I know I'm going to be disappointed right now, but I have not kept up with the series, okay? I mean, how can you? There's like 20 movies that you have to watch before you can actually get the last one because every superhero has like three movies to them. And it's just like, I don't have time to be watching all those movies, okay? And so I went to go see it though, but before I went to go see it, I mean, I'm asking Ryan, poor Ryan, if you don't know her, a 14 year old girl, and I'm like, hey, what about this? And who's that? And why does this happen? And how come this? And she's like, oh my gosh, right? You're asking so many questions. Um, and so anyway, I went to go see the movie. And you know, it's not hard to get those movies. I mean, there's a bad guy, and there's a good guy, and everybody wants to meet the bad guy, and we, it's not hard. But you see, here's the point. As I'm watching this on the big screen, a character enters into the picture, and I have no idea of their significance. Or I'm watching it, and I, they're talking about how this guy can't be calling this guy, and I'm missing the conflict. Or this scene happens and it's like a big moment. I mean, there's tears happening. And I'm just like, I don't get it. I don't know what's going on. Because friends, you can't start a story at the end. You will miss it. And Paul is telling the Judaizers, hey, you can't start the law, because God made a promise 430 years before that ever even entered the picture. And he tells us that the climax of this promise is Jesus himself, and that the inheritance, what we can get from this promise is not dependent on the law, but was always dependent on God's grace given to Abraham. So friends, the world changed because God made a promise. And secondly, the world changed because the law kept us honest. And that was not meant to rhyme, but it did. The law kept us honest. The world changed because the law could never save us. So the Judaizers are trying to track with Paul's argument, and the next logical question becomes, so then why the law? If the law was never meant to save us, then why did God give us the law? What's the purpose? And look at what he says in verse 19. He says that the law was given because of our transgressions and our sins. Because of our sinful heart, because of our rebellion and brokenness, God gave the law. But remember, it was never meant to replace the promise, but it was to function as a tutor to help us get our homework right. It functioned as a tutor to help us get our relationship with God right. 
Because the problem that started in the garden with Adam and Eve was a problem of the heart. Because they acted in defiance against God, rebellion set into their heart, and their heart grew numb and cold. And there would forever be a curse on it. And God knew that. And so he wanted to provide a way out. He wanted to provide a way where people can know him and where they can live rightly in relationship with him. It's like when we get into relationships, right? Whether that's with a friend or with a spouse or with a family member. I mean, if you are in authentic relationships, sooner or later, you are going to find what makes that person tick, right? You're going to find what that person likes or doesn't like. You're going to find what that person shouldn't say to you and what you shouldn't be saying to them, right? They're going to give you some guidelines, if you want to call it. Just, this is how I function. These are the things that trigger me. You can't say this to me because then this happens. That happens in relationships. And the moment when relationships go south is when we stop trying to intentionally love the other person, right? When we stop trying to intentionally live an authentic relationship with that person. And if we never tell people those things, right? If we never tell them what bothers us, what's hurt us, our story, then we can never be loved by them and as a result, we can never love them well. And so God gave this law so that people can know how to relate to him, how to be a people that are set apart, how to show the surrounding nations who God is and what he is like and what we are to do and what we are not to do. And he gave it because he knew that our hearts were rebellious and so he provided a way. The law was actually a gift because it gave the Israelites an opportunity to be in relationship with him, to love him and others well. It functioned as a guardrail so that you don't lead to the left or to the right. It functioned as a guardian going before you to guide you in how to live in this life. It was a relational move on God's end. It was always relational. Verse 21, that the law could never produce life. That the law was never meant to be used as an illustration or an instrument for salvation. That you could never merit righteousness by your own effort, because that is fundamentally the problem with the human heart. We always try to be God and do stuff like we can do it. And Paul's saying, hey, the law was actually never meant to produce life for you. Because if you read the Old Testament, I'm going to give you the snapshot story of the Old Testament. And probably some of you are going to be like, oh my goodness, I can go read it now because it's, it's crazy. But here's a snapshot of the Old Testament. God reveals himself, reveals his laws, reveals who he is. He gives it to one of his prophets. His prophets then go back to the people. Hey, this is what God said. This is what God needs you to do. The people receive it, and then they act in rebellion. They don't follow it. And then God sends more prophets and is like, hey, do you not remember what I said? Hey, 
Why aren't you keeping the law? And then sometimes they listen, but then it actually goes right back to where it started. That was the pattern and the cycle of the people of Israelites in the Old Testament. And then God knew that the law was going to reveal that we need someone else. He knew that this wasn't going to be sufficient. We need something else. Because Paul tells us in verse 23 that the law held us in custody. We were bound. We were imprisoned by the law. But praise God that when Christ came, he took the curse of the law upon himself. And this is why you and I are no longer bound to this law. And this is why you and I are no longer bound to the cycle that was happening in the Old Testament. Because Jesus actually came and broke that pattern. He actually came and broke that cycle and said, hey, you don't have to do that anymore. So does that mean we negate the Old Testament? Some people ask that. As Paul would say, certainly and absolutely not. Because Paul uses the Old Testament to show you what is happening when Jesus came. And in fact, Jesus actually built upon the law in the Old Testament. I mean, it's no longer don't commit adultery, right? It's don't look at a woman or a man lustfully because you're not loving God or others when you do that. It's no longer don't commit murder. It's actually don't even be sinfully angry with your brother or sister because you are not loving God or others well. And if you think that's hard, it's actually love your enemies. And on top of that, pray for those who are persecuting you, who are against you. And guess what? Jesus on the cross fulfills the law because he loves God and he loves others perfectly because on the cross, what does he do? He extends love for his enemies because you and I were always his enemies. And he prays for those who are persecuting him. Jesus fulfills this law. And here's the reality. Whether you're a Christian or not this morning, you and I Never love God or others perfectly. You and I can never measure up to God by our own strength and efforts. We can never change the world. And Paul was showing the Judaizers that the very law they were trying to keep to inherit salvation was the very thing that was showing them that they could never do it. How ironic. The very thing they were holding People stand here, you need to do this, was the very thing that was meant to show them, hey, you actually can't do this. So are you trying to earn your way? Are you holding people to your standards? That they must follow X, Y, and Z in order to be a true follower of Jesus? So then what, Nina? So okay, the world changed, God made a promise, and we know that the law kept us honest, so now what? Friends, the world has changed, because as a result, you and I can be heirs. You and I can receive 
Listen with me in verses 26 and 29 of Galatians 3. It says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs, according to the promise. Because Jesus came and took the curse of the law, because he took the curse of our sinful condition, and because he took the curse of the world upon himself, we are free through faith. Because Jesus came and fulfilled the law, you and I can be heirs of this promise. And the inheritance of the promise, who is Jesus Christ, is yours to take. It is yours to hold. And I just get excited in here, but it is yours this morning. For those who believe in Jesus, it is finished and will always continuously be finished. Through faith, you have been clothed. You are covered by Jesus. And because of that, we are heirs. And everything, every single thing that Jesus has done by fulfilling the law and dying for the sin of the world has been paid for and done for you this morning. We are no longer bound or held in custody to the law. We have access. There is inclusion. There is hope. There is embrace. And guess what? Absolutely no one is excluded. No one. No one is excluded. No one is too far gone. In fact, Paul says your ethnicity doesn't disqualify you. Your gender doesn't disqualify you. Your job status doesn't disqualify you. Your sin struggle doesn't disqualify you. Your past, your present, and your future will never disqualify you. Your mistakes will never disqualify you. Your how much money you make won't ever disqualify you. What people have said to keep you bound will never disqualify you and will never keep you bound. Because there is no superiority, there is no inferiority, there is no hierarchy, and there is inclusion in the gospel because the gospel excludes no one. Because Jesus in his death and resurrection paid for everyone. Jesus measured up. He faithfully fulfilled all things so that you and I, through faith, can be found in him. Through faith, we become heirs of this promise, not because of anything that we've done to deserve it, but because of everything he has done to give it. And friends, we are all on equal ground. Because we are all equally sinful at our core, and we all equally need a Savior. And he, listen to me this morning. The only thing, the only thing that is required of you and I is to believe. The only 
believe and trust in this person. That you believe and trust in this gospel. And I know many of you this morning have church hurt. Right? I know there have been times where people have told you, hey, in order to be a true Christian, you must pray this amount of times. In order for you to be a true godly person, you have to read your Bible this amount of times in order to do that. In order for you to be a Christian, you have to abstain from this and this and this and this. But the last time I checked, Paul said all of this is yours through faith. And that the only thing that is required of you to enter into God's family and to be his child is to believe him. And it's not a one-time belief you say a prayer and that's it. It's an ongoing belief that in this moment, right now, everything that Jesus has done is activated right now. That right at this moment, his forgiveness is extended to you. That right at this moment, his grace is extended to you. That right at this moment, you are found in Jesus and he is interceding on your behalf. That right at this moment, your status as child of God doesn't ever change. You're still blameless, no matter what you've done before you got here. Do you believe that this is for you? Do you believe that that is all you have to do? And do you believe that his spirit is given to us as a tutor, as a guide, to come and convict and construct and to lead us and to guide us and that God gives us his community to help us stay within the path. This is why this gospel is like no other gospel because you don't have to do a thing to get it. All you have to do is believe. All of this because the world actually changed. All of this because God actually promised Abraham from the beginning, and it has been fulfilled in Jesus. And because of that, you and I can join God in his mission on earth to tell other people about this. Right? To offer a new hope for others who feel like they don't have any hope. That, hey, guess what? No matter what you've done, he has been has been covered by the blood. And what you will do in the future, guess what? It has been paid for. And it has been covered by the blood. And God's invitation to you and I is just to come and receive this gospel. Because it is given for you and this place. This is how the world Jesus is ours 
Could we trust and believe in you? God, I thank you for the hope there is in this gospel. That we can cling on to it. That we can grasp it. That we can live it out. Knowing that every single moment it, it is activated on our behalves. So Lord, I pray for those this morning who are just struggling. God, I pray that your love would just come and embrace all of them. I pray, Lord, for those this morning who are struggling, Lord, to, to actually believe that this is true. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them. And I pray for those this morning who just need you to show yourself to them in a new way. I pray that you would do that. And so, Lord, I pray that you will continue to move and work in the remainder of our time together. And that we would remember that there is actually no other gospel but the one that Jesus came and died and rose again and extends that to 